What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. Slippery, slimy edition. Mm, that'll turn. That that'll keep people tuned in. <laughs> and somebody's going to be excited about it. Yeah, you remember those uh, the slip and slide growing oh, up? Oh sure. They still have that. Mm-hmm. Imagine once they had one that was called slip and slime. I think that would sell even more. I think kids would love that. Throw and slime. Yeah. Uh, that. Uh, knowledgeable voice you hear is uh, Professor Matthew Stanley of uh, New York University, historian of science. How are you, sir? Uh, it's Friday, so that's pretty good. Yes. Um, like that. Um, the puppy is currently chewing her way through a roll of paper towels, um, <laughs> which will be messy to clean up, but keeping her quiet. So I'll, I'll take it. That's very good. That's very good activity. Um, also with us, as always, uh, Gabby Panicia, virologist from Rockefeller University. Um, how are you, Gabby, today? I'm all right. I was telling Nat about how I think there's a sort of general Butterfingers curse cast over <laughs> everybody in my life today because I <laughs> spilled my breakfast on myself just immediately this morning. So I feel like there's like a heavy sigh whenever that happens where you're like, well, <laughs> all right. I'm going to clean it up and just get on with it. But there was something really sad about making that second egg, like knowing the first one failed (laughs) and was mostly on my pants was just a little like sad. That is sad. Yes. And then as as you were telling me that I uh, spilled my coffee. So it's contagious. Yeah, it's a curse. I think it's, if I don't talk to anybody else, I think I can't infect somebody else with it. But Matt, I'm sorry. You're already in the danger zone. Maybe the whole audience is. I'm sorry if listening to this podcast causes you to spit something. Uh, What the if denies all liability for. (laughs) I think this is a superpower. We just need to get you in front of the right people, you know? Oh God! If my if my superpower name is the slip and slime, I'm not okay with that. I (laughs) super slime. Um. Uh. What was I going to say? Um. We have a great story this week. Oh, I know what I was going to ask you, uh, Matt. So Matt, uh, you know, we we advised everyone that uh, last week you were uh, on assignment, mm-hmm. and that uh, sometimes there are um, dust ups in the historic timeline that well, you sure. need to go attend to. And I don't know if you're ever allowed to describe uh, or tell us anything about that, how it went. We we do know that you're always successful. Well, we believe that you are because our timeline seems to go continuously. That's right. That's the beauty of historical intervention is that you yeah. can't actually tell if I do a good job. That's right. We don't know. <laughs> All right. Um, but I guess just yeah. suffice to say, does Abraham Lincoln have a beard? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, he's good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've seen pictures. I've seen both kinds of pictures, actually. Uh, the, young Abe, the young, the young Abe young. without the, the beard is is quite a remarkable thing. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, well, that's good to know. That's good mm-hmm. to know. Um, and also, when when your next book is published, you know, if it's like dinners with Abe, then we'll know <laughs> <laughs> what it's all about. Um, if you could someday, you, 
Well, actually, one of my chat GPT episodes will be guests that you bring back from the historic timeline. Oh, we're getting a view. We're getting a live. Uh, oh, oh. oh God. Uh, there's Freya has, uh, we had a live view because uh, we record this uh, with video to Freya just for ourselves. stuff off my desk, yeah. Freya has stolen historic documents off the desk. <laughs> That's right. Probably. She's going to make sure herself that Abraham Lincoln has the beard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, um, well, she she goes into dog history, you know, and makes sure that. <laughs> That's right. Great. Um, speaking of history, our uh, our if uh, this week comes to us uh, from forty six thousand years ago. Um, <laughs> I'll just set the stage and we'll jump right in. Um, uh, what is this show, by the way? So, Matt, as you've come back from the past, I think you've seen a time where the podcast didn't exist. Mm-hmm. So I imagine life is harder then. Than That's right. Now. So before this podcast existed, um, reality was just boring and stable and <laughs> unitary in the, the technical term. Uh, there was only one version of it. Um, but now that we're here, um, we mess with reality every week and we change something up. Um, so what if the sun was dark? What if humans had 11 toes? Um, and then we run with the consequences of that, uh, altering of reality. And sometimes we learn something along the way. Yes, indeed. That, that's very good. Um, and so this, this week, uh, sometimes our, our ideas for shows come from you, the listeners, uh, as we've had a number over the past uh, few weeks. So, um, uh, but sometimes they just come from science itself or from my favorite source, the New York Times. And uh, there was an article um, just the other day by a reporter named Orlando Mayor Quinn. And um, uh, the headline is, Worms Revived After 46,000 Years Frozen in Siberian Permafrost. You knew Siberian had to be in that headline. Started reading that, um, and actually, maybe, maybe one, maybe one of you will help us understand why is it always Siberia? Um, the subheadline: Scientists want to understand how the worms survived in extreme conditions for an extraordinarily long periods of time. Indeed, we want to know. Um, sipping my coffee that I will not spill. Hypothesis correct. Fortunately, <laughs> um, the article says by, by Orlando Mayoquin. Um, at a time when the mighty woolly mammoth roamed the earth some 46,000 years ago, a minuscule pair of round worms became encased in the Siberian permafrost. Millennia later, the worms thawed out of the ice, would wriggle again, and demonstrate to scientists that life could be paused almost indefinitely. The discovery, published this week in the peer-reviewed journal PLOS, PLOS Genetics, is that how it's pronounced? Plus? Plus? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Offers, uh, the discovery offers new insight into how the worms, also known as nematodes, can survive in extreme conditions for extraordinarily long periods of time, in this case, tens of thousands of years. I'll just read a little bit more here. In 2018, Anastasia Shatilovich, a scientist from the Institute of Physiochemical and Biological Problems in Soil Science, that is a great name for a school. The I-P-B-P-S-S-R-A-S <laughs> is added to it. In Russia, thawed two female worms from a fossilized burrow dug by gophers in the Arctic. The worms, which were buried approximately 130 feet in the permafrost, that's 13 stories down, 
were revived simply by putting them in water, according to a news release from the Max Planck Institute of Molecular Cell Biology and Genetics in Germany. Um, using radiocarbon dating, researchers determined the specimens were frozen between, I love this specificity, 45,839 and 47,769 years ago during the late Pleistocene. Pleistocene. The, uh, wrapping up here, the roughly millimeter-long worms. Millimeter-long. <laughs> wow. It's amazing you can call that long. Uh, the roughly millimeter-long worms were able to resist extreme low temperatures by entering a dormant state called cryptobiosis, a process researchers at the Institute have been trying to understand. No nematodes had been known to achieve such a dormant state for thousands of years at the time. Timoris Kurzchalia, a professor emeritus at the Institute who was involved in the study, said on Saturday. So, uh, Gabby, what would you, uh, where, where, first we have to decide, of course, what is the if? As Matt Matt mentioned, we, we bend reality. And so, inspired by this story, uh, Gabby, how, how would we like to bend reality today? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be coolest if we could give this ability to ourselves. Yes, yes. And so we ask, what the if? Humans could freeze themselves. I don't know, you walk down to Ben and Jerry's and you say, freeze me for 46,000 years. I will see you in the year whatever 2023 plus 46,000 is. Matt will help us. Something like that. (laughs) 46,000 plus 2023, uh, it's not bad, 4820, right? uh, Mm -hmm. The year 48,023. That's a long time. So, So, Gabby, is... Where do we stand right now? Because I, I have to. I'm just going to throw it out there. We have, we have to get it out. Everyone in the audience right now is shouting at their, their iPods, uh, and their radios, and whatever other more modern devices they're using than my old uh, library at the moment. Uh, they're saying Walt Disney. Walt Disney is frozen. <laughs> and uh, I, I thought you were going to say like Neanderthal <laughs> in the block of ice rather at, than Walt Disney's that. frozen head. <laughs> That, that Neanderthal may have been the Walt Disney of his time. We don't know. <laughs> Grog, uh, Walt Disney, they're both in the same boat that's here. That's right. That's right. And I think there are other people also similarly rumored, other celebrities rumored to have been frozen in the hope of being revived. And anyone who saw the classic movie, or as I will call it, the documentary, the Woody Allen movie Sleeper, also knows about mm-hmm. he okay. slept and then he woke up in the future. Um, so Gabby, is this possible? Can I walk into, uh, can I go to Disneyland or Ben and Jerry's or anywhere and get frozen today? Well, I could be frozen not, for sure, but yeah. Go ahead. Not currently. No, unfortunately. All ah, right. So there's a couple of different things that make it kind of difficult for us to get frozen. And, and the main one is sort of our size. So the reason why freezing is a problem to living organisms for the most part is because we're made of water. And water, when it freezes, expands into ice. And if you're a cell with like carefully organized structure, that freezing is just going to blast you apart. 
Now, there are ways to freeze very small organisms. And I think, you know, you can even like cryogenically freeze like rats and rethaw them. Wow. Um, Because there's that whole thing about the microwaves being invented at least partially one other time to thaw out cryogenically frozen hamsters um, for an experiment. Is that true? Yeah, I I believe so. I mean, I think, I mean, I've heard it. I don't know if it's like completely 100% true. I'm sure it's, I'm sure there's also other ways like the microwave being invented because it melted the candy bar and the one in Junior's pocket or something like that. Uh, Um, But at least on one time it was invented if scientifically because they needed to thaw out cryogenically frozen hamsters. Fantastic. And it's possible to freeze small organisms like that. And again, hamsters are sort of the extreme size of that. Like, you know, you can freeze worms much like they found Uh in the Siberian permafrost. People do, work with C. elegans nematodes, and they freeze them. And so the ways that you do that are usually fast in a specific medium that prevents ice crystals from forming. So that lets you thaw them out, and some won't survive, some will. Uh, but it is very careful conditions that let us do that currently, at least in a laboratory environment. But the nematodes that they found in Siberian permafrost are different species, I think, but not that different from the ones that we work with in lab. So the fact that those tiny little guys survived is impressive because they must have been frozen down in a way that let them survive, right. uh, which I'm sure yeah. is a roll of the dice, environmentally speaking. But they are small. So, uh, you know, we're much more likely to revive the nematode than we are the gopher whose burrow uh, they were in. Oh, right. And is it? do you know if it, is it a, f- a fast freezing process or a slow freezing process? Uh, pretty quick. Well, actually, no, it's not. Um, I don't know for all of the worms, at least for what we do in cells. Uh, so we have media that, um, we use slightly different ones for like bacteria versus like cells and culture. Uh, but for the most part, again, it's preventing those ice crystals from forming. Mm. And then what we do is we slowly cool them at minus 80. So we have like these tiny little containers that have racks for the tubes but then um, isopropanol in the bottom. And so the alcohol cools slower and will get continue to get colder. So it helps them, like, ease them into... We don't just flash freeze. Right. This is very relaxing. So, and which makes... I, I, I was trying to imagine the day... What was the day like that they got frozen 46,000 years ago? So maybe they were in some cold place and they sort of slowly... Um, where they fell to some place where the temperature was below freezing and they slowly froze. Um, it might have been too that, I, I mean, I, I don't know that much about worms in the environment, yeah. but I think it's also possible that these things just do freeze maybe. That's like the in the do. winter, they yeah. just get frozen. Uh-huh, uh-huh, and then uh-huh. because this thing never thawed back out, right, right. they just stayed frozen. They overslept. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I have to ask, a millimeter-long worm, it, it's hard for me even to imagine. My whole vision of a millimeter is uh, of something that is, uh, I don't know, long. Like, I just see a millimeter on a ruler, and it just seems like it's between two, two lines. I can't even imagine something that's that tiny that fits in there. Um, is that a common thing? Are there millimeter-sized worms everywhere? Yeah. I, I just don't know about Oh, my God. Great. I mean, there, I mean, think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Dirt is full of a lot of different things, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. 
there's a million tiny bugs in there if you sit in a field and just watch a patch of dirt. So, yeah, but yeah, yeah. there's mm-hmm. going to be a million tiny little worms. And some just, of them may be from the distant past. We just don't know their stories. Well, yeah, that's right. We have, no one has asked. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I, I will say, I did just Google it. Uh, I assume worms must freeze a fair amount because they do actually have some sort of like antifreeze mechanisms. They oh. apparently have like ice binding proteins that um, sort of improve their survival. Wow. So like tardigrades also do this, the little algae bears. Yes. Uh, yes. They, when, if they're getting frozen, they sort of get rid of all of their water and replace it with things like glycerol. So essentially mm-hmm. that they, they can't form ice crystals in themselves. So tiny animals that do get frozen do develop mechanisms for dealing with this. And I suspect Siberian ice worms probably have something genetically up their sleeve. Yeah, yeah. And every time, by the way, the tardigrades come up, I have to ask. Uh, so th- th- there was an Israeli uh, uh, spacecraft that went to the moon and unfortunately crashed upon landing. And then mm-hmm. they, re- they revealed it had tardigrades on it. So there are tardigrades splayed out across the, <laughs> the lunar landscape. Although... I yeah. will say, I think that I remember reading something that they weren't sure if they would survive, like, you know, the environmental conditions, but they were, they were particularly didn't, didn't think that they might would survive the impact Yeah, because I yeah, think yeah, they did yeah. try loading like bullets with them and trying to like fire them at that impact and see if they survive. Uh, People have really abused these things. <laughs> the <laughs> poor tardigrades yeah. really get stretched to the limits of biology and also mm-hmm. like cartoon violence. <laughs> yeah. What were you going to say, Matt? I was going to say grad students need to write their theses. So, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes the, the supervisor is like, I don't know, put it in a gun and shoot it at a wall <laughs> and see what happens. And you're like, okay. Yeah, that's called yeah. the Mythbusters school. Of- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so we ask ourselves, what if humans could be frozen and, uh, in this manner and then revived in the future? So before we get to the, I'm excited to talk about the infrastructure that must exist for this to become like a normal thing in society. But, uh, so the, but the first part, the freezing part, um, what would we have to do? Let's imagine there is some facility. This, is, this has become an organized uh, thing, right? So you might go and, uh, s- somewhere um, and maybe like a spa or I don't know, what kind, of, Matt, what kind of place would you go to that would be the freezing place? Like you're going to, it's like a time portal. Well, time portal. yeah. So it's got to be a place with, um, I guess, easy access to cryogenic chemicals and yeah. tech, yeah. um, which tends to be a little bit energy intensive and sometimes explosive. Um, so uh-huh. I think I would probably not put it in the middle of a city. So I'm thinking right. maybe out in a, a, a um, uh, in a forested mountain top where Ooh. I can easily conceal all of the infrastructure, and then if something goes wrong, um, oh, that's it's a, not, or, or not what about? I was asking about Siberia. Why oh, is yeah, it right. that we? Why are we? Why are, now? I know Siberia is cold, but there's a lot of cold places on Earth. But is it because Siberia is so big? Well, it's. I mean, it's kind of depressing. Um, <laughs> It's because Siberia is getting less cold. That is, it's thawing out. Ah. So it's all of this um, permafrost bog that's not so perma anymore. Um, so there's vast stretches of formerly frozen area mm. that's now thawing out. Um, so if you're a biologist looking for old uh, organic matter, it's a really good place to go looking. Oh, um, so... 
you know, they, uh, we find, we're finding, um, you know, mastodons and things like that, mm. just kind of conjuring their way to the surface. Um, so yeah. there's been actually been some suggestion that you could go eat some of these thawed out critters too, but <laughs> don't do, don't do that. <laughs> That'll be the next thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> next big fat. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so aside from the global warming situation, maybe a place like Siberia or a place where that's already very cold, would that be a help to this kind of thing, or does it? I don't matter? know. Gabby, would would a matter of ten or twenty degrees actually be helpful for this? Mm. I don't know. That's also what I was thinking of. Is like maybe somewhere cooler. Like you, like you said, you don't want it so remote that you can't get anything in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wonder if given our current climate volatility, having a place that you don't need to keep pouring power into to make sure that it's cold is probably good. And especially because the time scales here, yes. somewhere where it is generally more likely to stay cold might be uh, more yeah, beneficial. That's a good point. All right. So let's say Norway. Okay. Yeah. Very isn't, good. Like, isn't one of those seed bank things like up there? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Actually, yeah, that would be a good um, combination place, like the KFC Taco Bells, Um, (laughs) except it would be a a human cryogenic slash seed bank. Um, Right, right. That's good thinking. I like that. Like a food. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing on earth prepared me for the combo KFC Taco Bell (laughs) to make it into this if... By the way, there's always a Pizza Hut in there. There's always a Pizza Hut as well. Oh, yeah, that's true, actually. With a very tiny... Pizza, yeah. Um, so, uh, um, so we go to Norway, and um, there's a thing, and uh, people are frozen. And so, what might, what might, are you going in a capsule? Are you going in a bath of some liquid? What, what is it? Yeah. So we've got to get that um, that antifreeze into our tissues. Mm. Um, yeah. So I guess I'd I'd like to imagine it's like one of those old um, sensory deprivation chambers. Mm where you lay in the, the fluid and then they gradually cool you down, presumably while they play soft music um, That's to, right. That's to right. keep you calm, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I assume you're essentially going to have to get perfused. Okay, so is that Perfusion, right? yeah. So perfusion is a process we, we use when we're fixing tissues of like a whole organism, like a mouse, um, to where you essentially... Well, I won't describe it in the the particularly gross way of how it works because it's it's a little traumatizing the first time you watch a perfusion. Um, but essentially, you need to deliver fixing liquid like formaldehyde or something like that to every tissue, hmm. um, and you do it by putting it you know through the veins. And so, I imagine you know they're not fixing us with formaldehyde, but whatever like oxygen rich, but like glycerol a heavy i guess mixture they need to put through us so that our tissues don't just completely die and maybe we can go into stasis or something um that needs to start running through our bodies instead of blood so maybe this is kind of like dialysis center thing thrown in there too because we're we're probably gonna want to drain us of blood just (laughs) because i can imagine that i don't know that's gonna expand like if you put if you just replace the most liquid that we have with something that's not going to do all of the nasty freezing things, uh, then yeah, you, you got to kick the blood out somewhere. So, is this something that people are actually going to be able? Like, is that just like, oh yeah, you can do that, even though it sounds like you couldn't survive such a thing? 
I mean, currently, no. Mm. You don't have any way of doing that. But uh, I think that's like probably one of those things. We, we talked about organ X, that like fluid that revived, they used to like revive organs from pigs. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And like after the pigs were dead for a while. And I think it would be something like that, like some sort of fluid or, or combinations of fluid. One that was like a freezing solution that probably kept everything okay and like stable. Um, and then something later that maybe kind of made sure that you had everything in your system. Right. Like right. after the freezing stuff was washed out um, and then blood. Uh, but it's all very hypothetical right now. Yeah, like nobody definitely. has made this liquid. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, that's why we need an F, right? Well, that's why we need this that. show to give people, yeah. you know, to inspire people, just like Star Trek inspired people to do things, you know, yeah, someone will is... we'll inspire, inspire people to drain people's blood. Exactly. Be fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no biggie. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I um, learned it right. from the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after the process, you're going to be desiccated. Well, I guess, no, you won't be desiccated because you'll be pumped back full of the, um, the, the cryogenic fluid, um, but no blood anymore. So they'd probably, presumably they have to do the reverse to wake you up. I think so. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so there's a jar somewhere full of all of your blood with your name on it. Well, on the upside, think about it, right? They, it could function as a blood bank at first (laughs) because you just need blood back eventually of your blood type. Right. It doesn't have to be the same blood. Right. So, as long as you get it back eventually, like you're like, yeah, just take all of mine, like give it to somebody else who needs it right now. And then, you know, 50,000 years later, you get whatever blood they have lying around. That's your blood type. Or someone who is just checking in (laughs) at that time to go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. It's Um, a perfect ecosystem. It is perfect. It's it's a lot of trust in the the customer (laughs) has a lot of trust in this company too. Um, So uh, you, Wake up now. What uh, I've always wondered to this, you know, when you see stories of hibernation. By the way, Alistair Reynolds has our, our favorite uh, science fiction writer who's been on the show a few times. Um, he has some stories that deal with uh, hibernation. People can go into hibernation and wake up whenever they want. And I've always wondered what are the what's the timing mechanism like? Like, you know, you're connected to some sort of like Matt. If you wanted to set your alarm clock for forty six thousand years from now, your iPhone wouldn't. I wouldn't trust the iPhone. I probably wouldn't either. I'm actually not sure what the time limit on the iPhone alarm is. Yeah. <laughs> Checking. I think it's 20 <laughs> or a week. Uh, no, that's a good question. Yeah. 20,000 years. That's a good um, question. Is it, well, can you set know. it by I mean, date? Because you know. set it by date. So however far the, sure. out the calendar is, that'd be fine. Right. right. Um, uh, yeah, making sure your iPhone keeps its charge for 46,000 years um, <laughs> could be kind of tricky. Um, maybe we could do something geological because that's a good geological ah, time scale. So we could have two, let's see here. Um, uh, so we got to find some uh, stretch of tectonic plates where two continents are coming together awesome. um, and put two electrical connections uh, on the, the two edges of the continents. Such that in about forty six thousand years they meet, uh, and that'll close the electrical circuit, um, and that'll start the blood pump, um, and get us going again. That would be my suggestion. That's super cool. Go ahead. Yeah. Or just have an incredibly continuous system, which probably wouldn't work otherwise. 
Like, I, yeah. I, I mean, like people, you have to rely on people that might fall apart. Mm-hmm. Right. But time scales do get weird then, I guess, if this has been going on for long enough that people have been freezing and crossing time that maybe they'd be willing to keep it up. Yeah. It's tricky. But 46, I like, yeah. I mean, 46,000 years is a tough human time scale, right? So human, so civilization, like from the time we started, you know, getting together in cities and, and doing stuff um, is like 10,000 years. Mm-hmm. So we need a complicated technological process that can survive effectively unchanged for four times the length of human civilization so far. I mean, not inconceivable, but that's a real challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I was thinking yeah. some sort of nuclear decay. Isn't that a, a possibility? Like, uh... Uh, Yeah, you could yeah, build an atomic clock that, that runs yeah. on... Um, I don't know. Find something that has a good half-life around around forty thousand years. That's doable. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then you would measure it. Um, that that would seem like the the least maintenance. Uh, that would seem like a pretty good thing, right? And uh, then you could have it. There could be a cat in the box as well that is also <laughs> sleeping for forty six thousand years. And then you could wake up and decide: is this cat alive or still just sleeping? Um, and so, uh, what, uh, Gabby? What? When would you set your alarm for? How long are you going to uh, sleep? I mean, weirdly, I'm a kind of person who probably wouldn't do this. Um, <laughs> but it might be interesting to sort of bounce forward, like, at a couple of different intervals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Because mm-hmm. in, like, say, 200 to 500 years, society's going to look so different. The planet's going to look very different. Yeah. But at the same time, nothing's really happened on, like, maybe a species level, except for the fact that so many more things have gone extinct. Um, so maybe if you're looking for, I don't know, humanity as you know it to be radically changed and maybe almost unrecognizable, you can jump that not radically changed and almost unrecognizable because that's not going to happen in 50,000 years, but, uh, still just like a huge difference. Yeah. Jumping forward that 50,000 years is going to be insane. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say as a kid, one of my favorite stories was the HG Wells, the time machine. Um, and it just blew my mind, you know, because it, it keeps going forward in time and things keep getting more futuristic. And I won't give a spoiler for a 120-year-old book, but uh, <laughs> it gets really cool and weird at the at the most extreme end of the timescale. Um, uh, I love that idea of kind of stepping forward in time, right? Because that could also allow you to get a better sense of what is likely to be uh, the status of things in the future. In other words, if I jump forward... Five years from now, we can say, "Oh, the technology." In other words, each time, could you go, Matt? Would, would would you call it some sort of logarithmic jumps or something? Would that well, be I mean, you could do it however you like. Yeah, um, it's uh, yeah. You probably want to don't want to go too far in one go, right? Um, because then things are going to be totally unrecognizable, right? You're not going to be able to communicate with people. Oh yeah. Um, you know, if you imagine bringing even Tutankhamen. 2,000 years to the present, um, he's going to struggle a little bit with touchscreens. So I don't know what the equivalent... So if we imagine 20 times that technological difference, that's what we're going to be waking up to. Um, That might be uh, unsettling, I think. Well, I think if... But I will say that if King Tut, once he sees emojis, he will recognize the similarity to hieroglyphics. He'll be totally familiar. And he'll be fine. He'll Mm -hmm. communicate in in emoji. Um, His Twitter accounts will be amazing or X account, whatever the hell it's called now. Um, 
so uh, um, uh, Matt, what what uh, when are you going to set your alarm clock for? Um, you know, I'm I think I'm going to start with some fairly small jumps first, like a hundred years. Um, okay, a hundred years, good. Yeah. yeah, does the UK rejoin? the eu i'd be kind of interested to see that yeah um are we ever actually gonna get um google glass off the ground um (laughs) what does civilization look like without fossil fuels i'd be interested in Uh in those kinds of questions because i would kind of like the the continuity there yeah um i think if we're if I was inclined to do a really far jump, like 46,000 years, it would be in the spirit of how could humanity be totally different? Um, because there will, there will be no observable continuity to existence as we know it today, other than as Gabby was saying, sort of biological ones. Um, although actually maybe after 46,000 years of genetic engineering, we are a totally different beast too. Mm. Um, so I, I, I would be interested to see, how different um, humanity could be, and that's a good that's a good toss. Because if we go four million years, mm. then we're not then it isn't even biologically stable, right? We're a totally different species. Oh, um, wow. But tens of wow. thousands of years, that might be. We still have a, a civilization, but it's going to be a totally different thing. Wow! Um, you know, we're ruled by bananas or something, right? That'd be great. Yeah. I was going to say the epaulette sharks, since they're like kind of walking on land a little bit, not far. <laughs> what Just is tide that? The tide. Oh, there's this shark that kind of like, it does kind of walk, air quotes, on land that like what? its fins it can like use to get from like tide pool to tide pool. Oh, my God. But it's there the kind walking, of thing that like. There are walking sharks now? Yeah, well, yeah, and it the, moves well, like will be. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and so therefore I, I would love to go four million years in the future where I can run into one at Starbucks and yeah. uh, it's just, that's <laughs> just life, I guess. Um, but well, it is yeah. interesting mm-hmm. I was oh, going to say, so if I was an evolutionary biologist, this would be a fast, fascinating thing to be able to do, right? Because yeah. I really could go forward and see if the sharks are walking around yeah. and then what happens from there. Um, the downside is I could never get any publications out of it because this is a one-way That's time right. travel That's kind right. of thing. That's right. So. In fact, so you were, just, you were just right then, you were making me think that the value, uh, the, the real bang for the buck is for the society in which you arrive because you represent the past. Like you can tell. In other words, I, I keep thinking about these worms that like if when they got woken up 46,000 years ago, it's too bad the worm, we can't talk to the worms because it'd be like, what was going on? Tell us about the world, right? 46,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Imagine if they. Well, the worm's going to be like, well, there was dirt. <laughs> there was some more dirt. That's right. I think the dirt there might have delicious. also been dirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So for, for them, the world didn't change actually, right? It's, it's Siberia. Well, but the climate is probably different than it was. Well, yeah, that's 000. right. It's probably a different, you know, mixture of gases. But I guess the mm. dirt itself has been frozen this whole time, so it probably hasn't right. changed very much. Um, right. So they were comfy. They were just like, hey, whatever. And then, um, so, uh, but but your value to the society in which you arrive is, is extraordinary because one of the things that got me excited when I read this story was, and in imagining it as an if for us, uh, was I imagined someone from the time of the American Revolution, let's say, 1770s, showing up in, in the, our time now. The first thing I would have to say to them is, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what you're about to watch on the news may be upsetting. Maybe upsetting, <laughs> yeah. But um, as a historian, Matt, what would that be like if, if somebody, you know, just... Uh, what, 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 what person would you like to uh, 
speak to or what kind of person? Oh, um, let's see here. So if we could solve some, some genuine historical mysteries, um, like whether the 11th century existed, um, <laughs> this is a, a puzzle. That, um, what? It turns out there's there's a little over a hundred years of European history for which we only have one document. What? Um, huh. So there's sort of a conspiracy theory that um, that document might be fake and maybe, I think it's the 11th century, I'd have to ask my medievalist friends, uh, that maybe that century just did not happen. Um <laughs> So that might be kind of neat. I'd, That's I'd a rather interested. extreme That's theory. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is kind of. <laughs> but I should say, actually, not not impossible. Right. right. Sometimes right. the historical right. record is is thin. Sometimes um, lack of evidence I, is the yeah. evidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or they guess. I guess they just had like a leap century. Right. Yeah. Well, like, that's right. Yeah, just, we, <laughs> we maybe just, like dated this wrong. We're just gonna like so everything from the 12th century is actually technically from the 11th, and we're off by 100 years. Yeah. 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 So that happens. But, but that is actually, that's really cool. In other words, you could, but the idea that there could be somebody who could really give us knowledge about something for which we have nothing, we had nothing, right? Mm -hmm. They could really, they could explain. That so. said though, I do think it's funny when considering the limitations of your average person and yeah. their knowledge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if somebody's like, well, how did you guys first figure out nuclear fission? I'm gonna be like, dude, I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. That's beyond beyond my pay grade. Um, like, there's so many things that somebody could want to know on in the future based on how accelerated their technology is that I just wouldn't know the answer to. Like, I I use yeah. a computer every day and I have no idea how this thing works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I wonder whether or not yeah. like it might be useful in, in a perspective of like, okay, you can hear from somebody who's in the past. Um but also I wonder too, if your own frame of reference in the future is so different, how mm. you also might struggle to understand even from a primary source, what it was like to have some of these things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it'd be great. Yeah. Sort of, uh, you know, hieroglyphics pre Rosetta stone, um, uh, the Egyptian time traveler comes forward with a, a complete, um, uh, chronicle of their history, but just nobody knows how to read it. <laughs> so it's yeah. just, it's just a meaningless gibberish. Um, that's, uh, and this is always the peril of the, the archeologist, um, is, is trying to make sense of these fragmentary material evidence. So at the very least, what the time traveler could do is interact with these pieces of technology or these material objects that nowadays we don't even know how they were used. Yeah. So if we could actually, if we could just take the Egyptian and have them go about their day, that would be pretty interesting yeah. to watch. Like, oh, that's what you used to stick for. Right, you know, you just made me think that the, the person that I, one of the people I would want to have revived from the past is whoever, the craft person who made the Antikythera mechanism. Oh yeah, that would be cool. The, the Greek. Be, I could dig that. Yeah. Mechanical computer. That would be super cool. Um, um, now, so what makes me think is that really the people, what we're talking about are human time capsules, mm -hmm. right? So when you mm -hmm. put things in a time capsule, you kind of, I don't know, I don't know how much thought they put into making sure that someone can understand what the things are that are in the time capsule, but nonetheless, they put a lot of thought into it. So if you could freeze someone today uh, to put in, to put, to make a human time capsule to send this knowledge forward, which is incredibly hard to predict 
what would be a value. But uh, who would you who would you choose to uh, freeze? Or just just out of spite, you might you know <laughs> get this person out of yeah. here. Yeah. Um, all right. Knowledge wise, Pun- if I remember, them. if yeah. I remember right, there's a there's a Wikipedia editor who uh, has done I can't remember some absurd number like millions of articles or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he might be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, he certainly hasn't memorized all of them, but even a passing familiarity with vast numbers of things would be pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Alternatively, somebody who would be a good ambassador for us um, to to let the future know that we weren't all jerks and dweebs. Um, so I well, don't what know if we were th- actually jerks and dweebs. Well, even even more reason than we don't want them to know that. Um, <laughs> it's a spin <laughs> spin control. Yeah. Thirty five thousand years. In the future. So I don't know who. I don't know, 20 years ago, I would have said Mr. Rogers. I don't know who the equivalent ah, today yeah. is. Who do we well, want? Well, if you froze to... him down 20 years ago, then we're set. That's right. We yeah. just <laughs> have to plan ahead a little bit. That sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm contractually obligated to point out that this is the premise of Futurama. All right. Is oh. that um, <laughs> the, the protagonist of Futurama, Fry, is just a delivery boy who is accidentally frozen and wakes up a thousand years later. Oh. Um, and he is totally ignorant of everything. He doesn't know how anything works. And he's a terrible ambassador for the past. Right. Um, right. And so it's a great subversion of these tropes. Because usually it is the, the scientist who gets, gets frozen. Right. I was going to say like Einstein or something. Although, you know, the thing is that if you froze, you know, latter day Einstein, he, we would have even less to contribute. That's right. That would be awkward. <laughs> yeah. um, so I didn't realize that. So notice, notice by the way, that... Uh, even Futurama only went a thousand years in the future. Is that mm-hmm. right? So yeah. they didn't even they didn't even have the guts to go forty six thousand years. Well, I should we... say there was an episode in which they had to do this. Uh, Professor Farnsworth's time machine got stuck in forward only mode. <laughs> um, <laughs> so their their idea was, well, we'll just keep going forward until we get to a civilization where someone has invented a backwards time machine. Oh and yeah, then, <laughs> and then we'll go. That's um, smart. But they keep overshooting, so they have to go to the end of the universe and wait for the next big bang uh, for the universe <laughs> to reconstruct. <laughs> itself and gone. It's really a great episode, uh, actually. I can't great. remember the name of it off the top of my head, but I'm sure that's some great. Googling will turn it up. That's great. Um, well, mm-hmm. since, since we've, we stumbled into time travel where you can go backwards, um, uh, let's just end with, because uh, I feel like we have to tell people about if they don't know about it already. Matt, can you tell us about, uh, you know, about Stephen Hawking's time traveler's party that he held? Oh, yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, Stephen Hawking um, threw a party for time travelers, but did not announce it until after it had already happened. Yes. Um, on the theory that uh, if time travel was real, then the time travelers from the future would have known when it was going to happen and gone to to join him for the party, and nobody showed up. So that's his existence proof that time travel is impossible. Yeah. Yeah. I that's think that's then, the, yeah. I would love the idea of all the time travelers or the people working it working it. Because they had enough time to go back in time yeah, yeah. and get job, like get hired, and they're all just secretly there. Still, <laughs> that's a great premise. I would say also that's one of the best excuses for for why no one showed up at your party. That's right. You know? It was a time traveler party. <laughs> it was a time traveler party. So. Um, fantastic. Well, thank you both for this again. Again, we've you know I'm gonna have to put flags on all these episodes where we really just got off the ground or just got into the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, uh, there's so much more we could explore. So, um, thank you. Thank you to the scientists in Siberia for, uh, gathering up this story for us. Um, 
uh, Matt, is there anything you'd like to plug this week um, for for time travelers? For time travel, <laughs> I'll tell you next week, and then you'll know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> Gabby, how about you? Ah, uh, Christ, I can't beat that. So no, I guess. <laughs> but your book is out now. Well, I'll, I'll put a plug in your book. Yeah, your, yeah, yeah. The, the, your story is out now in the anthology. Yeah, the yeah. anthology that I'm publishing is out now. It's I've actually been reading it. It's pretty good. Like some, there are some stories in there that are awesome. Oh, nice. uh, so so far, it's just been some fun science fiction, and it's cool to be like featured alongside some of those writers, and their their work is really good. Yeah, I'm waiting for mine to come in the mail. I got the Dead Woo. Tree edition, so uh, I'm excited to read that. Um, and do I have anything to plug? I don't think so. Um, you should, is, is it true, this is, might be a Matt question, is it true you're supposed to unplug things like devices that apparently suck power when you don't think they're using it? Do you do that in, at your house? Do you unplug um, I do devices? not because with the family that's essentially impossible to, to manage. Right. Everyone's like, why is the printer unplugged? Right. Um, right. Were, were I a person living by myself and caring about the environment, I would probably do that. Oh, okay. Um, uh, yeah, so lots of things like printers and modern televisions, even when they're right. off, still draw a lot of power. So. Right. All right. So whether so you care about that is there's our our, yeah. our climate warning. This is a climate uh, uh, tip, climate tip for the week. Um, uh, uh, Gabby, would you help us with our closing ceremonies now that we have rent the universe asunder? <laughs> Do we have any hope of closing a ceremony? Yeah. Well, I think that as we are waking up, having snoozed our alarm clock a few too many times, <laughs> and we are now millions of years in the future, That's awesome. we cannot help but face this new reality and scream the name of the show. What? what? The... for tuning in uh, millimeter long worms and others uh, I hope you've had a, a great journey and uh, good luck with your uh, future escapades we will those of you who are going to sleep now for a week we look forward to welcome you as you arise again for another episode of what the if thank you all for listening thank you uh, by the way to our patreon listeners as patreon supporters uh, for all your help if you don't know about patreon check it out patreon.com/ what the if we'll see you next week.